I was sharing with some of the people as we were walking down that um, interesting fact that my grandfather, Alva Cutterback, uh, went to Brown almost 100 years ago. He graduated in 1929, and he was in a fraternity, the name of which I do not recall, but I was pointing out if you know the building that's right not too far from here that has the, the Wong house in the basement and on the first floor of it. Wong's Kitchen. Wong's Kitchen. That, uh, that building, now you'll see it when you go by, that actually is the very building that was their fraternity house um, a very, very long time ago. Um, be interesting, very interesting to see what the course of studies was like uh, at Brown back in the day. But in any case, we have a very exciting uh, topic before us, one that I consider, uh, well, and I hope that you will find to be very significant. So our title is Preparing for Life in a Household, a Biblical and Thomistic Perspective. So I gave you a handout. Uh, if you don't have the handout, that is okay. I will, but um, I like to refer to quotations. Uh, and particularly here, I have some, I think, ones that you're really going to appreciate, first of all, from Scripture and then from St. Thomas Aquinas to kind of build the case that I'm going to want to build here. If you want to understand human nature, if you want to understand human life, begin in the home. If you want to renew human life, begin in the home. And my suggestion for you here today is, if you want to prepare for human life, prepare for human life in the home. There is no better way to prepare for life than to prepare for life in a household. Now, you might say, well, but what about other vocations? And I will say to you as a Catholic Christian, you might be called to a vocation that is indeed higher than that of being the man or the woman in a household. Nonetheless, preparing for life in a household will always be an excellent way to prepare for life, to prepare for your vocation, no matter what your vocation is, in part because at the end of the day, all men are called to be fathers, and all women are called to be mothers in some very important sense, which of course points back to why the household, the household, the household. This is where especially we can come to understand what it is to be human. And may I say to you, I think this is why in our, in certain ways, darkening days, there is so little understanding, I think, of really what it means to be human. This is deeply connected to the fact that we have so little of an understanding and so little of a practice of life in the household. To be a father or to be a mother, which I'm saying in some sense is the vocation of all of us, is to be a crafter of human life. Marx actually, I think, is on to something when he says that human work is anthropogenetic. 
which is just a fancy Greek way of saying it makes the human. So Mark, Marx holds that human work makes the human. Indeed, he, he holds it in some sense. It forms human nature. I say he's on to something. I certainly don't think that human work makes human nature itself, but I do hold that human work does give form to human life, but either in accord with a given human nature or contrary to a given human nature. So to be human is to craft the human, but according to a divine plan. Indeed, a divine plan according to which men and women become, in a sense, divinized. This is something that Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle would have said, that to become more human is to become more like the divine. This, of course, also fits very well with Christianity. So this project that I'd like to look at with you here of becoming more human, it begins in cultivating one's own soul, or we might say one's own soil, for I can never give what I do not have. Again, this great principle is most obvious in the household. Household is always about crafting human life. Household is always about crafting human life, human character, human wisdom, human virtue. This is what life is. Crafting this in ourselves, crafting this in others. My thesis today is simple. To prepare for life in a household is precisely to prepare for a fully human life. So, a scriptural and Thomistic understanding of household gives excellent direction for all of us especially young adults, whom I especially have in mind. So there's three, three parts through which I will move with some dispatch, and I hope that you will have questions. There are three parts. First of all, a wisdom literature approach to household, and that's going to be the scripture from the Old Testament, a wisdom literature approach to household, then a Thomistic approach to household, and we'll see how deeply compatible they are. And then finally, I'd like to offer some specific suggestions in view of those principles on preparing for life in a household. So let's begin with the wisdom literature approach to household. I'd like to introduce you to the notion of the divine economy. There's a great book uh, um, that I have read that has very much formed my thought on this. It's by a Dominican of the Eastern, I believe he's of the Eastern province, Father Jordan Schmidt. And the book is the, uh, referenced in the first Quotation on your handout, Wisdom, Cosmos, and Cultus in the Book of Sirach, which is one of the books, of course, in the Old Testament of, the, of wisdom literature. And Father Schmidt says, the divine ordination of the physical universe and of human actions belongs to a multifaceted strategy for making people wise. I love this very much. That, and, and think of it this way, this, this wonderful notion of, if you're familiar with the word economia in Greek, from a, of which we, of course, get our English word economy, it means the law or the order of the household. And so there's a tradition of referring to the divine economy, which is basically God's plan for all of the cosmos. 
So isn't it interesting that the divine plan for all the cosmos can be referred to as an economy, a kind of order of a household? This is very much reaffirming for us that God is as a father in his arranging of the universe. And in how is he arranging it? He is pouring his wisdom into it. And what is he pouring it in for? Ultimately, to bring about wisdom in us. So right now I'm kind of flying at 50,000 feet. And we're going to get a little more specific. But the first big principle I want to suggest here is that God's arrangement of everything has one ultimate purpose. This is a great way of expressing it. It's about wisdom. Bringing human persons to wisdom. I give you from the book of Sirach, the Lord himself created wisdom. He saw her and apportioned her. He poured her out upon all his works. Let's get going to it now a few more specific things about then how the wisdom literature, I've been kind of seeing the, the, the big background. The background is the divine economy. It's all about God's wisdom bringing his creatures that is, especially as rational creatures, us, to wisdom. Now let's see how that fits in with the household and how wisdom literature describes the household for us. So, first of all, the household itself is fundamentally about wisdom, is fundamentally ordered towards wisdom. I give you the quotations in under number two on your handout. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled. Go on and read some of these, are, are the very famous lines about the good woman. And I just pause to note, I, I think it's very significant that, that Scripture very much emphasizes the wisdom of the woman. This is, in, in certain ways, n not very characteristic of the world at that time to emphasize that. And Scripture very much does emphasize that. And I give you some of these absolutely lovely lines, another one from Proverbs. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Also from Proverbs, she opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. One more here. When the sun rises in the heights of the Lord, so also is the good wife's beauty in the order. Order always bespeaks wisdom, remember? Order of her home. So what do we have, we, we have here? We have a characterization of household fundamentally in terms of it's designed by wisdom. It is lived in wisdom. It is about cultivating wisdom. So always remember then the structure. First, the wisdom is always first of all God's. This is so foundational. It all begins with God. That's what's so very, very different than, for instance, a Marxian view. God's wisdom stands behind everything. He pours it into what he has created. He pours it especially into using this great kind of Aristotelian notion of nature. You discover it in nature. Then you act in accord with it. And in acting accord, in accord with that divine wisdom, you are thereby cultivating wisdom in yourself and in others. 
certainly is a key theme for our day and age, to reject the natural order of things is to reject God's wisdom. Reject the natural. If there's a natural order written into reality about, for instance, the relationship of man and woman and how they live together and how they don't live together, this is something that originates in the divine wisdom and is an expression of the divine wisdom and is meant to be something we discover unto our own wisdom and for the cultivation of our own wisdom. I go now to the second point, more specifically from the wisdom literature about household. It's characterized by daily work. I'm not going to say a lot here. This is a beautiful theme. And, and you know, I'll say right now, if, 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 there's a, if there's something that's going to be a little bit of a challenge in the lecture, I'm going to try to do a bit. I'm going to touch on, okay, here's a cool point. Here's a neat point. would be nice to go into a little bit more. That's why I say if you want to ask me to pursue something a little more in the question and answer, please do so. Household is characterized by work. Quotations under number three, Sirach 715. Do not hate toilsome labor or farm work, which were created by the Most High. Just, if you will, just, just let, let that sink in for a moment. God intends work. It's part of the plan. And household is going to be especially characterized by it. Go on to another quotation from Sirach. While you are still alive, and he's particularly here talking to the man in the household. While you are still alive and have breath in you, do not let anyone take your place. But it is better that your children should ask from you than that you should look to the hand of your sons. Here, in very much a household context, he's conveying that work is part of the gift. Work daily, I'll say, together in the household is, is, is part of a natural plan. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, uh, surprise you. Well, actually, first of all, one more quote from Sirach there. Much labor was created for every man, and a heavy yoke is upon the sons of Adam. Quick, quick sidebar, not going to go into the, the theological aspect of this. You might say, well, isn't work in some sense a result of the fall? I think it's, I'll stand on the theological correction. I think it's fair to say maybe especially the toilsomeness of work can be the result of the fall, but remember, is a very important theological notion of the Felix culpa, the happy fall that has brought about the divine remedies end up themselves being a gift. So even if the toilsomeness of labor in some sense a result of the fall, that doesn't mean it is not a great gift that is integrated into a wise plan. But now I jump out to give you a quotation out of the clear blue from Wendell Berry a Kentuckian farmer, social critic, who in this unsettling of America says the following, good work, he's talking about good work in the context of household, is the enactment of connections. It is living and a way of living. It's not support for a family in the sense of a brace or a prop, but is one of the forms and acts of love. 
Wish we could pursue this more, but I, I, I find this very much in the wisdom literature, the central place of work in the home, and I find it in good contemporary thinking, especially, may I say, in an age that post-industrial revolution has made household not be a place that is characterized by the day-to-day -day work that in all earlier cultures would have been there. This raises very interesting philosophical questions. Well, is that necessarily a problem? Well, we're always looking with a kind of humility and docility to try to show what is the God's plan? And sometimes it's only in retrospect, after we see that we've lost certain things, that we recognize, ah, but indeed, that was part of the plan, and with good reason. It was part of the fabric of household life. We can return to that. The third thing in the wisdom literature approach to the household is the centrality of forming children. I give you a few quotations under number four. All these from Sirach. Do you have children? Discipline them and make them obedient from their youth. Will you pause with me for a moment? This sounds very just kind of, okay, well, fine, whatever. Parents discipline their children. I, I invite you, again, particularly in the age in which we are, to, to enter into the try to appreciate with some subtlety. Do you have children? Discipline them. Discipline, by the way, is a very rich word. In English, we very often think discipline is interchangeable with punishment. That is not how... Discipline is a much richer, from the, here it's a Latinate word, that means, it means form their character is what that means. Form character of your children. Make them obedient. Go on the next. He who teaches his son will make his enemies envious and will glory in him in the presence of friends. Next. Give him no authority in his youth, and do not ignore his errors. There's so much that might be said. Right now, what's the main thing I'm going to invite you to see in these quotations? Fundamentally this. What a profoundly complex and rich focus of life is the forming of children. In an age where fundamentally... We don't think in terms of central to what a husband and wife do. Central is, is this kind of all-encompassing project for which they take responsibility of forming these people. We have prioritized other things, whereas the scriptural account here is this is at the epicenter of household, that there's an incredibly rich and demanding project and, 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 and I give you that last, in that last line, do not ignore his errors. May, may I be a little provocative to you? I apologize. Just stir the pot a little bit. Where are the fathers who do not ignore the errors of their children? In other words, who are really engaged in very much know and notice and act. Look what he's about to say in relationship to daughters. It's going to be almost a little comic, but if we go through and, and see what's there, I'm going to say, it's anything but a joke. 
A daughter keeps her father secretly wakeful and worry over her robs him of sleep. I mean, I could crack a number of jokes for you right now about, you know, wrecked cars and other things that happen to have something to do with daughters of someone who's in the room. We're not going to go there. I very seriously say to you, a daughter crashing a car is one of the least of my concerns in this day and age. And I dare say parents who are being parents will often lose sleep if they are doing what they simply should be doing. This lovely final one, give a daughter in marriage, you will have finished a great task, but give her to a man of understanding. I, 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 I suggest, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, raising children is anything but peripheral. It's at the epicenter. Somehow, forming children, I dare say, is the primary context for where we think about, learn how to do the human thing, craft wisdom in people. If it's all about crafting wisdom, the kind of primordial instance of that is this incredibly profound and complex, demanding and rewarding beyond imagination of raising children. And scripture's absolutely clear on that. Another point before we move on from that, it's also the single greatest thing that can unite a man and a woman in this life. In an age where people try to figure out why doesn't marriage work, what, 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 how, how, what, what, what would make, what would give marriage something to kind of go by and to deepen the shared work of raising children clearly is at the epicenter of the plan. What deeper thing, in case naturally speaking, could a human man and a human woman ever share? Fourth point, and we move on from scripture, is, is beware the trap of wealth. This is something that comes up so regularly, and it's so timely to mention it. I'm just going to give you a few quotations, and we move on to St. Thomas. All right. Sirach, quotations are number five. Do not set your heart on wealth. Do not acquire, for Proverbs, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. I love that line. Be discerning enough to desist. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Ecclesiastes. And then here's the real zinger. Yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. Riches, So he never asks, for whom am I toiling? This also is vanity, an unhappy business. It is especially in a household, I suggest, that the danger, the profound and ever-present for all of us, may I say, suggest danger of, 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 of wealth. And I'm going to come back to that in St. Thomas and give that a little bit more of a fine point. It's especially in the household. If we go back to that line, may I put this in the voice of so, how many parents have looked back on a life 
and said, for whom was I toiling anyway? This is vanity in an unhappy business. Household brings these things to a focus. I go now to St. Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. And in, in, in St. Thomas, I'm just going to, on, on the back side of your handout, I'm going to move you quickly here through basically the same points are very much in St. Thomas as are in Scripture. And I just want you to kind of see Scripture, St. Thomas, boom, then we'll go to some implications. So quotation 6a. Big picture, it's always about wisdom. Therefore, truth must be the last end of the whole universe. I'm not going to read you the rest of the quotation. I mean, you could find a million quotations in St. Thomas where it's always about wisdom. Everything comes to the divine wisdom. It's about the divine wisdom. So just as in the wisdom literature, St. Thomas is very much is on that note. I'm going on to 6b. What's a household? Classic statement here, commenting on, on Aristotle, 6b. And so he says that the house, this is St. Thomas talking about Aristotle. So he says the household is simply an association community constituted by nature for everyday life. Simple words, incredibly rich notion. How, and, and here, what I really just want to sound the note there again is, what's of nature means it's the fruit of God's wisdom. There's a structure to household that we discover. It's, it's not a matter of convention. It's not a matter of people just happen to decide that they want to do the household. It is something that's written into us, something that we discover. What is it? A community for everyday life, a natural community for everyday life. This is where we really live. I'm at 6C. Marriage and household is especially ordered to generation, or we might say generosity. The union of man and woman is for the sake of reproducing both men and women. So easily misunderstood, so vastly unappreciated. I just invite you to look once again, this is nothing new to you, the gifts of the natural ordination that man and woman are brought together for the sake of being generous together. That's what marriage, that's what household, what, what gives marriage and household its deepest natural meaning. I'm at 6D. It's always about people. The chief aim of the household manager, this of course ultimately is the parents. Traditionally, there was, they put more of an emphasis on the husband. They absolutely held it to be a shared role, nonetheless. The chief aim of the household manager concerns these two associations, namely the spousal and the parental, more than other things. So in other words, what, what is a household most of all about? It's always about people. It's not about things. It's about the flourishing of relationships. Crafting life around the relationship of husband and wife and parents to children. This is what household is fundamentally about, which we see in 6E fundamentally means their virtue. 6E, and he, the household manager, should strive for the virtue by which human beings live well, more than the virtue by which one acquires and increases property well. <laughs> by the way, oh, starting to see his concern for the wealth thing, which is going to come back here in a moment in another quotation. So it's always about people. It's always about their virtue. That's another way of saying wisdom, by the way. Wisdom and virtue here fundamentally would be 
interchangeable. Now, special fo focus on forming children in wisdom. Ready? Here it is. This is from the Summa Contra Gentiles in 6F. For other animals have their natural forethought. And in the Latin there, the term is one of prudence. Other animals have a kind of natural prudence, which enables them to provide for themselves, meaning they don't have to be taught by their parents. And really, that, that is an interesting thing. If you look in the animal kingdom, the young of other animals learn very little from their parents in comparison to what young humans need to learn from their parents. And here, what, what is the focus? So that children, uh, oops, sorry, I skipped, whereas man lives by reason, which can attain to forethought. You know what that is in the Latin? Providencia. Here we are in, the, in providence. Forethought, providence, which is, which is functionally interchangeable with the great virtue of prudence, which contains a forethought only after long experience so that children need to be instructed by their parents who are, in ex who are experienced. In, in short, ladies and gentlemen, the incredible rich notion that's so worth expanding. Parenting, what, what's the fundamental angle to see formation of children? Forming them in the virtue, one of the cardinal virtues talked about by Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, they called practical wisdom. In the great Western tradition is called, more commonly, prudence. Forming children is giving them this queen of virtues whereby they govern everything in their life in view of the highest goods. That's what prudence is. And that's how he chooses to characterize what the raising of children is ultimately focused on. He names a great virtue that I'd love to talk about more here in 6G, the end of domestic prudence. Another good way to translate that would be household prudence. That's a specific kind of prudence. There's especially the virtue that joins a husband and a wife that they spend their lives developing household prudence together. How do we order our lives together for the good of our relationship? for the good of our children, for the good of our community. This is household prudence. This is the gem that marriage is naturally all about. And what is its goal? Good life in general. In short, that's Thomistic speech for the true, full human good. Not just some part of the human good. Not just for the sake of building up wealth. Not just for the sake of keeping people safe. Not just for the sake for some peace in the community. It's the full, rich human good. That's what household life is ordered to. I'm in, the, I'm in 6H now. Consequently, the right reason about things to be done, viz. means namely prudence, requires man to have moral virtue. So we're, we're doing a, a, kind of a quick tour here. So it's all about prudence, and prudence requires the moral virtues. You'll never find, they say, a prudent man who doesn't have the other three cardinal virtues of courage, and temperance, and justice. You can't have the habit of thinking well about life, except to the extent that you have good character. So challenging and so central to their view. This is going to have implications for us in the household. And finally, from St. Thomas, before we move to our then practical suggestions, he does the beware of the trap of wealth. 
Beware of the trap of wealth. This is a nuanced point that he, he points out in his commentary on the politics. It seems to some household managers that what belongs to merchants, namely to be zealous to maintain and increase money without limit, is their duty. So worth lingering over more. It's not something to point fingers at other people. It's something to constantly examine ourselves on, 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 on this of the danger of wealth. I'll go a, a little broader with you. May I say it to you, to you right here at Brown University, where clearly we're among, in some sense, something of the upper crust, whatever exactly we mean by that. And what, what, what is kind of the dominant, what, what are the dominant pressures upon us as regards what we need to achieve in life? What is your goal in life? I, I, I really want to push you. What is that goal? And where does your profession and success in it fit in? It fits in somewhere. But where does it fit? That's what I'm going to challenge you here as we move, to the, as we move into the uh, suggestions. All right, so third and final part. How, in view of those principles, do I want to suggest that we prepare for life in the household? Given what we've seen them say, so a few miscellany about what life in the household is, how I'm going to suggest that we might think about preparing for it? Well, okay. Remember, I assert that preparing for life in the household is preparing for life, the virtuous life, the life of wisdom. I've got one general suggestion, and then I've got three specific suggestions. Here's the general suggestion. Take the wisdom approach to life. Remember, God's providence, we suggested at the beginning, is just a complex plan to bring you and me and his other dear human creatures to bring us to wisdom. So if that's the case, are we aligning ourselves with what our loving creator has ordained for us to make our life? This has implications. I know it's at 50,000 feet, but it's a great place to start. Is your life fundamentally about wisdom? I think it's a great place to begin, a great question we can ask ourselves. And, and, and just there already, let's give it a little bit of teeth. Look at a few more quotations here on number seven. Happy is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Of course, that's wisdom speaking. Sir, I come to her, wisdom, like one who plows and sows and wait for her good harvest. Cultivating wisdom is not just a lifelong project. It is your life project, if we make it be. Next quotation, let your conversation be with men of understanding and let all your discussion be about the law of the Most High. That's a very strong words. Very strong words. Or... Uh, the, the Dominicans are just across the city of Providence College. It is said of their founder, St. Dominic, he always spoke with God or about God. And here's, here's scripture saying, 
Let all your discussion be about the law of the Most High. One more quotation here from St. Thomas. Man's life is twofold. There's his outward life in respect of his sensitive and corporeal nature. With regard to this, there's not direct communication or fellowship between us and God or the angels. The other is man's spiritual life in respect of his mind. With regard to this life, his interior life, there is fellowship between us and both God and the angels, imperfectly indeed in this present state of life. Wherefore it is written, our conversation is in heaven. just wanted to give you this of... Human life is most of all the interior life, which is a conversation, a conversation with the wise. Is this our, is this our life approach? I'm going to get, get, give you three particular suggestions. Make a plan for moral and intellectual formation. Form habits of daily life in the home. Be aware and avoid the trap of wealth. So these are my three specific suggestions for you. Make a plan for moral and intellectual formation. Form habits for daily life in the home. Be aware and avoid the trap of wealth. Real quick on the making a plan for intellectual moral formation. I have two specific things to suggest. As regards intellectual formation, the great virtue of docility. Docility means teachability. Docility, especially something that we don't hear of today, it's especially a disposition to learn from the wise. Here's my challenge for you. If we're ever going to become wise, we have to go to where the wisdom is. Well, the wisdom is in the wise. Where are you and I going to find that? Who are the persons, living, deceased, to whom we will be docile, where we will go to get that wisdom? That's my suggestion in regards to thinking about the, the, the moral, the intellectual formation that we need to be doing to be prepared for this amazing project of the household, which again is fundamentally then going to be about us crafting wisdom. So a key way to be preparing for that is right now, how are we focusing on wisdom? How are we growing in docility? To whom are we going to learn from? Sirach says, when you find a wise man, beat a path to his door. Moral formation. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give one example. I'm going to give you one example of moral formation, and that is chastity. I'd like to just make one suggestion here. I think it's something that, that all of us can, can profit from. One of the greatest lies of our age is that incontinence in the sexual realm is compatible with human flourishing. I'm going to say that again. One of the greatest lies of our age is that incontinence in the sexual realm is compatible with human flourishing. Now, hear me with nuance. I'm, by saying that, I, 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 I note that there is those of us who will be struggling in turning to God's mercy and grace. We certainly can always be struggling to overcome that. Then we, there can be a real flourishing. What I mean by my, the point is this denial that 
incontinence in the sexual realm, the denial of that as always a principle that's undermining our happiness, that's undermining our flourishing, right? That's what's, that's what's constantly paraded before us. You see this, by the way, all the time. In, I, I, once you start to have an eye for this, you notice it constantly in movies and entertainment. Constantly, people are, characters are presented to us where they're the really nice guy, the really sympathetic guy who's just, who, who has a far-out sexual life. But he's presented as that good, dependable person. I'm not saying that there is never such thing as a person who can be in some sense a good person and have some sexual incontinence. Let me make myself clear. But again, the, the message is that somehow sexual incontinence is completely compatible with this. That's the death-dealing lie. And so my suggestion there is simply recognizing the principle the lack of chastity undermines our pursuit of wisdom. It undermines our pursuit of wisdom. We make a chastity plan. And we start to promote again beautiful themes like custody of the eyes. Beautiful themes like use the power of scripture to resist temptation. These are such beautiful, practical things. They recognize that this will be a long haul. Like it will be about always seeking God's mercy and God's grace. And, and again, a lifelong project. But a plan, a plan can make such a big difference by our being alert to it. And that makes us, encourages us to ask God for his grace and his mercy. I go on then to the, to the second point of forming habits for daily life in the home. Here's my basic approach. Preparing for life in the household, picture yourself, and here I'm, of course, especially speaking to the young, picture yourself as a husband or father, pardon me, husband or wife, who is patterning for others the good life. I think this is very salutary. Picture how would my life be right now as a pattern for others. This is a beautiful way to re-examine our own life. And so let's just talk quickly a couple specifics. Things like good work, good leisure, which are always the kind of backbones of life in a household. What kind of work are we doing in our lives is the kind of work that could characterize household work. Here's a suggestion. Choose one craft or kind of work that you would want to have characterize the life of your home and start to cultivate that now. Or how about leisure? How are you spending your Sunday right now? Is that the way you want Sundays to be spent in your home one day? So let's see ourselves as regards something like that. How about meals? That central aspect, obviously, of any household. Do we prioritize, even now, how our meals in such a way that we would transition more seamlessly into having a household with this kind of work, this kind of leisure? Very simple, concrete things. Another one, the technology question. May I be challenging to you here? I suggest it's the time now. See yourself, if I may put it this way, as parents of teenagers 
and ask yourself if you're patterning for them an interaction and a habit as regards how we use technology that would be how we'd want them to live. It, it, it's a very good question for us to have us re-examine how we use technology. And I like to just say as a mantra, prioritize the natural. Prioritize the natural. Prioritize the real. Don't let our technologies take away the natural and the real from us. And the final one is be aware and avoid the trap of wealth. And again, I started to say it earlier and I wrap up here. What is your dream? What are you running after in life? I know, it's very subtle. I already suggested to you, I think that many in households end up being able to mouth the words of Ecclesiastes, yet there is no end to all the toil and our eyes are never satisfied with riches so that we never ask, for whom am I toiling? So may I invite you to pose this question. Think about your career or your profession and ask yourself, how does this serve the good life? How does it serve the pursuit of wisdom? How will I integrate this career or profession with what is more primordial, the higher things, the highest of things in personal relationships that I'll be seeking to craft in my life. I say this out of no disrespect for the great careers and professions, but may I put it to you this way? I think that our we have allowed our focus on career and profession, which often too much tends to get associated with success, unfortunately too often with wealth, and it becomes unhinged from the deeper things that matter most, that household always will bring us back to. So life is too good to wait for later. We don't know, I speak to the young, what perhaps ultimately your vocation will be. But this much we know, for us to think in terms of the natural plan for what a household is, and preparing myself to be able to be a husband, or a wife, father, or mother, will help us focus on the things that matter most in life. And I conclude with the Holy Family. I earnestly recommend to men, if I may, meditate on Joseph. Develop your imagination of a man who served the broader community, especially by what he did daily in the work and the leisure of a tiny little household. Sirach 49.15 says, Was ever a man born like Joseph? It's actually referring to Joseph of Egypt, but the fathers of the church say that Joseph of Egypt is just a foreshadowing of the real Joseph. Was ever a man born like Joseph? And if I may earnestly recommend to the women, meditate 
on the Virgin Mary. Develop your imagination of a woman, the pattern of all women, who lived the richest human life possible in the work and the leisure of a tiny household. Thanks so much for your attention. Well, Thank you. Excellent. And you don't and, and don't hesitate to to you can be aggressive too. I've I've been in all kinds of crowds, so don't worry. You're all looking a little aggressive right now. So I've got my flak jacket on. Okay. All right. Oh, sheesh. All right. I, I, you did, you're very generous. You, you, you did not miss that. Um, there, there's a couple different ways. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the definition of wisdom is the habit of seeing the first causes or the highest things and then all else in light of them. I'm going to say something else, but I'm going to just say that again. It's the habit. So in other words, it's a kind of virtue. It's an intellectual virtue. Of, of considering, of seeing, of knowing the highest causes. That's kind of an Aristotle way of just saying the highest realities. And then seeing all else through them. So an image I like to give in explaining wisdom, them, it's, 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 it's it, you, when you climb the mountain, you then see everything else more clearly. You see the, the, the heights but then you also see everything else clearly from those heights. Here's another line from Aristotle that St. Thomas Aquinas loves to quote, sapientis est ordinare, it is of the wise man to order. So it's always about order. God puts God's wisdom poured into creation. God orders all things mightily, beautifully. And so wisdom sees order and it gives order. It sees order, and it gives order. So, so Sean, do you want to follow up on that at all? There, 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 there's the definition and a couple other explanatory things. Follow up. So, so with like... Good question. Good, good, good question. And, and I mean, and you're going to, I can see you're going to keep asking good kind of philosophically rich questions that take a bit, a bit of work. I'll put it to you this way. Because um, I think this is partially what you're after. There's different forms that wisdom can take. One classic Aristotelian distinction is between speculative wisdom and practical wisdom. Speculative wisdom is the wisdom that just sees things the way that it sees the order of things, sees the order of the cosmos, sees the order theologically of the Trinity, of life within God, and the life to which he calls us to share him. This is a speculative wisdom. Practical wisdom is not simply seeing wisdom of the higher things. It's, it's the wisdom that knows how to arrange things in human life. Prudence is most of all practical wisdom. Prudence is the know-how in view of the most important things, to order everything of life. I, I, I just, may, may, may I speak honestly, this is why the loss of a kind of 
foundation in the humanities, especially good philosophy, is, is, is so catastrophic because the traditional view is you need to at least have these basic notions, something of, 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 the, of, the, uh, of the four cardinal virtues. What, what an astounding notion this is to be promoting among the young of, hey, practical wisdom, there's an objective know-how that is an ability to order everything in your life rightly in view of an objective ordering that God has designed. So, so there's speculative wisdom, there's practical wisdom. Some lives or vocations are more committed to speculative wisdom, and these tend to be what we call the contemplative vocations. All right, and so that's seeking wisdom. And so this is a great part of the tradition that can look around how now we tend not to have an understanding or an appreciation. What are those nuns doing? I mean, I mean, really, I mean, just think about that. And here I'm talking about particularly, I mean, Mother Teresa's nuns, as beautiful and wonderful as that is, th that's easier for people to get, although they don't, I, I mean, even there, I think they're probably not getting it the way that Mother Teresa's getting it, but, but, but because they can see the helping of the poor, which is a beautiful manifestation of the church. By, however, by the traditional understanding, the contemplative vocation is actually even higher, and Mother Teresa would have been the absolute first one to say that. And it, but, but those nuns, what, what, are, what are they doing? Right? But that's where there's this notion of there's this high, these higher things that are just worth simply seeing. And in seeing that, you are developing that relationship. So a beautiful aspect of the Catholic tradition, if I may just then just quickly say this, the contemplative vocation is especially an eschatological sign, meaning it's a sign of the ultimate ends of all of us, heaven is the contemplative life. Those who are called to live the contemplative life here are witness to the, all of us of what human life is ultimately most about. It's that dramatic. So if we lose a sense of the contemplative life and have this sense of, what are they doing? Then in some sense, we've lost our own un understanding of who we are and what it is to be human. Which brings us back to the wisdom that God is calling us and has designed us for is the wisdom of living in conversation with him, which is relationship. How, how, how are we doing here, Sean? Any follow-up? Am I, am I? No, that, that's very helpful. All right. It, 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 it does. And, 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 and life in the household is fundamentally going to be active. And it's going to be, and it's going to have, but, but even in the active life, the, the cornerstone of the active life, and this is where Mother Teresa is the, is, the, is the queen of this, is the cornerstone of the active life is still a contemplative element because it's the love of the Lord that gives us power. Love consists in this, that God has loved us first. So we always have to be tuning into his love, and then that's what we share. And so it's the same exact thing, same exact pattern for parents. Their prayer life, and this is where, again, it's just, it, when we think of that, this is why you and I, we need to have a prayer life right now. I, I, I mean, for whatever our vocation is, it, prayer life is, it is the dynamo that makes life work, whether you will have a specifically contemplative life or then the active life of, of working out the household prudence, ordering your life around Growing in wisdom, growing in first a practical wisdom, which is always a foundation. And then depending on vocation, to some extent, all of us are contemplative wisdom. I love, if I may just quickly say this, I love 
I love when I've, see, I've seen it with my own eyes, parents who send off their child to a religious vocation, maybe a religious vocation where they're not even really going to see this child anymore. And maybe they were simple working people, but from the integrity in the depth and richness of that life in that household where first things were put first, this, this child goes forth to have this astounding, astounding, it's just, it's just such a jewel, it's just such a crowning jewel of their life. What else do we have? Please. So, apologies, not a super focus. That's all right. But I would love to hear your thoughts. Working mothers. Thank you. That very important question. I, I give a lot of thought of this. Uh, thought of this. And honestly, the work they do at my website is, is very much, my mind is in the mode of what are the principles that can help us live where we are now. Because prudence, the virtue of prudence or practical wisdom, always takes universal principles but must apply them to where you are now because you can't apply them to living in a world that we don't live in. And so, I, so, so the way I put it, to, I mean, this is a loaded question with a ton of various ways we can go. I'm going to put it to you this way. Just a couple of principles. One, I am absolutely convinced from experience and from consideration and looking at the traditional thinking on this, that a woman has a unique and irreplaceable role in the home where children, and we're talking about a home with children, is, is when we say working mother, right? So children, right? Not just working wife, working mother. Children have a unique need for the presence of their mother that I'm just going to say is higher, is more dramatic than their need for their father to be immediately present. Now, I assure you, there is a very high need for a presence of the father, huge theme. But there is, I mean, and this, this comes down to just even studies of you remove the father, children are, you know, they suffer. With a certain age, children, certain conditions, remove the mother, the children don't even make it. There's a much higher mortality rate. So, so clearly there is something of nature where there's a very high need for the consistent bodily presence of the mother. And so I just say, this needs to be a principle that is considered. This is not a principle that utterly rules out that a mother would remark, work remotely, especially where there's financial need, right? So, so I'd say we have to bring principles together and, and, and apply them together. It's going to have to be applied in a husband and a wife discerning together. So being a rather traditionally minded person, some people say, well, are you always against a mother working? No, I'm not always against a mother working. Though I do say as a principle, give the benefit of the doubt first to the importance for the sake of the children of her being present here. Is that being fully taken into account? Is, in here I'll say something that can be tough. How do you balance a legitimate desire of a woman for a career or profession with the need of her children? There's not any absolute there. There's not an absolute. But how to say it? By and large, I think part of mothering is in any case to be ready. And we see this in so many instances of where women have made a sacrifice of something they so much would have wanted to do for the sake of being something for their children. And it ends up clearly having been the right thing to do. 
How are we doing? I mean, I mean, I, 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 you want you follow up? You, you want to push me on something? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, give some kind of general thoughts. You, you want to follow up on that? Go. Right. And Yeah, yeah, and, and I need to. And I, 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 I can't cite it directly. And, and I think you're, you're referring to there certainly is a tradition of emphasizing the importance, uh, both from experience and in, I mean from biblical sources, that there is a unique place and role used to be the children of the mother in the home. And, and I, I, I tell you very frankly, I think that today, especially where this is not an understanding that young ladies are being raised with. I, it, it, it's very important to me, how do we discern how to convey this as a gift, as, 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 as part of a beautiful natural plan that is, is, is not being dropped on you as, as a shackle and, and has nuance? And again, it's, it's not just this kind of, you know, Absolute. Well, then, you know, you absolutely will not be able to dot, dot, dot. It's, I have this discussion with my wife all the time. I, as a husband, as, as a traditionally minded husband, I need to be I, I mean, I, appropriately ready to have this conversation and see it between different women. There can be higher needs to experience something out there that must be taken into account. At the same time, I say we must, it is only appropriate that we put an appropriate priority on the needs of the children in, the, in receiving the gift, receiving the gift of God's plan of, of, of it, it does make a special call upon the woman that is, it, it can be very challenging. Yeah, she's, she's, Alice Von is very strong on that. Thank you. Thank you. Please, sir. Mm -hmm. The question was, could speak about the, the, speak out the importance of spouses to prioritize the marriage. This is a very important uh, point. I, 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 love, I love the line, if you want to do something for your children, a line addressed to men, you want to do something for your children, Love your wife well. And this, this, there's an awful lot of wisdom written into that. Um, and um, how to say it, by and large, the uh, household is a community, the dynamo of which is the relationship of husband and wife. That's where the household originated. 
that remains its kind of center of energy. So I have a husband always have a first obligation to attend to that relationship. And attending rightly to that relationship redounds then onto the good of the children. So it's not just a zero-sum game where it's, where it's um, uh, somehow the ch children, well, sorry, children, I don't have time for you. I'm going to be attending to the wife. I'd say to be attending to my wife rightly is also a way of serving the children. They will experience it that way. So um, that, I think, is actually a very, very helpful principle um, in being, in, in, and I'll also say this, a, a well-done relationship between spouses, by its nature, this is, again, it's always going back to the gift of nature, and the more we try to, uh, with humility and docility to follow the plan, the more we discover how well it was designed, how if we follow it, it turns out better than we would have imagined. You so much are called to generosity in that relationship, it, it increases our ability to be generous to the children, precisely from our having to be, our striving to be generous with our spouse. That, that, that's my thought there, follow-up. I, 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 there's, yep. And, and so the question was, it just kind of a follow-up of how at times a, a, a woman could go too far in attention to the children, to the neglect of the marriage. It seems to me part of how that often happens is precisely because I'll take, I, I think, I like to encourage men to take first responsibility here. It, and I say to men, if there's something lacking in the marriage, ask yourself, why is there something lacking here? I think that's the appropriate approach for a man. And I, 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 so I tend to, not that there can be no fault on the woman's part, that's certainly not true. But if, if a woman is tending to turn towards the children more than she ought, I think it's often because the husband is failing in cultivating rightly that relationship with her, and she's looking to fulfill from the children the needs that she's not receiving from her husband. And this ends up being a net loss for everybody, going back to then the prior point. It's not good for the children when, when either parent, over, as it were, over- uh, uh, invest there, leaving aside the original uh, relationship, which, again, well attended to, actually more frees you and empowers you to attend appropriately to the children, which I think is exactly your point behind your good question. Anything else? Yes, sir. Uh, can you speak a little bit about the rise of, or just, just in general, the premarital cohabitation? Premarital pre Marital cohabitation. Aristotle says that friends naturally want to live together. This little phrase, live together, can be a bit of a promiscuous phrase, but I like to use it in, 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 in it, it, it's everybody wants to ha have a deep connection. We want to share our lives together. And so in a world that has been so emptied 
of the deeper kind of connections between people. So many people are desperate for any kind of connection. The thing about sexual connection is, well, it gives you, it gives you some sense of having a deeper personal connection. And so this thing of cohabitation, I, I think very often it's, it, it's, it's a misguided desire for, um, for a deeper, deeper sharing, not recognizing the beauty of the natural plan that is so much rooted in self-restraint. Manliness especially, say from the man's side. Almost every main manifestation of manliness has a very large element of self-restraint in it. This is one reason that we have such a catastrophe. We have little boys that eat whatever they want, they watch whatever they want, they do whatever they want. They're, they're, they're just, they, they are not taught self-restraint. And if there's one thing that immediately under, undermines masculinity, it's a lack of self-restraint. And so, and so they, they're not even being told, by and large, that self-restraint is the gift that will empower your relationships. So, so what message, you asked to share a quick thought. So here's my quick thought. Start to say, especially to young men, you want to have the only kind of relationships that really enrich your life? Begin by practicing self-restraint in view of higher goods. Practice self-restraint, and then you will start to have the power. This is part of your training for the amazing thing of standing in, in relationships of integrity. Frankly, with other men. And with, the, and, and, and with the opposite sex. I really appreciate that question. Anything else in a follow-up you want to do there? There's a lot more that might, that might be said there. Please. Uh, yeah, maybe a follow-up about like other, other kinds of cohabitation. Like, would you... Oh, sorry. Was I misreading your question? No, no, you answered my question. Okay. In the context of this whole topic here, I love the thing of thinking about intentional households of young men or young women who at this point are discerning where they're going to go in life. And, and that's why, in, in many ways, this presentation was sculpted with them in mind, though we, I, I kept it well, kind of general and then made some specific suggestions. Love to think more in a context of, okay, what can you do in that household of women? How, 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 can, you, how can you start to practice things like hospitality? How can you, well, you, you're a man, you asked the question. How about a, a household of intentional men where you, you know, you, you, you do think, you don't, we're not, we're not you know, undergrads anymore. We're not, we're not living in a flop house. We're gonna, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna have order in it. Households need to be clean. They need to have a certain discipline. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna eat decently. And, 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 and we're gonna invite people over and we're gonna show them hospitality. The, the kind of things, I, I just think it's you know, this thing of, well, a, a guy's waiting for, a, you know, a woman to kind of domesticate. It's just, you know, it's just unacceptable, right? I, I mean, a, 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 a man, it, it, that I think is is kind is this there are hey I as I've already said I'm a traditionally minded guy there's a lot of caricatures 
of the traditional view of the household or of the traditional-minded man, which very much undermine this, the man who's just expecting the woman to, to take care of these things in the household. As Wendell Berry has pointed out, that's not the traditional household, that's the 1950s household, which is a product of the Industrial Revolution, where the man went out and then came home and wanted to be handed his newspaper and in a hot meal from his wife. That has nothing to do with the traditional household. Sure, you might have in the traditional household have the woman be more in charge of the art of cooking. Fair enough. But the man was very much involved in the day-to-day -day work of the house and, and, and didn't parachute in to be taken care of. He was very competent himself in many of the things that she did, and she was competent in many of the things that he did. And this is why their life was a life of shared work and not one of alienation. So this is why I, I love this theme of shared work in the home and, and encourage, you know, start to think in terms of those kind of gardening is one of I, my, my, my favorite, particularly in this day and age. It connects us with so many good things. I mean this very sincerely. There's so much wisdom in working with the earth. That, 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 that there's something very beautiful. I mean, here Sirach says, don't, what, what, what was it? Do not hate toilsome labor or farm work. Whatever's being translated farm work clearly is cultivating the earth. There's something for, for all of us that's kind of natural about that. Okay, now I'm kind of going off on a number of things, so I better, I better, better stop there. Just pull me off. Just, as you see, I'll just keep going. Are we done? One more question. To, Please. Yeah. Hi. You talked so kindly about sort of bottom up way, resisting the desire. I'm wondering I like it. about the problem of actually that the way that it makes it very difficult for people to start or Yes. And you know, right, like Aristotle is definitely, you know, changing value, economics, right, against usury. Which is a very fundamental basis of modern economy. Amen. So I'm wondering, yeah, which. Amen, brother. Well, 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 well. Look, I mean, well, we got bottom up and top down problems. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it, it's what we have is an is fundamentally a system that, in its principles and practice, is contrary to what we've been talking about. And, and, and so it, it, it's, it is that difficult. I don't think we have an either-or thing. We, I mean, it, at one point, in, if you went back a certain length of time, what we could say is there were still certain practices that people had at the down level, as it were, but they were getting squeezed out. So it's, so it's almost like, you know, you know, look at the BBC series, uh, you know, All Creatures Great and Small, or just read James Harris. You know, like the 1930s England, where, where in the hills, the Yorkshire Dales, these families are still trying to have the old home economy, but the new economy is crushing them. They still had habits, so they didn't, you know, that was the top down. Now, we've lost our habits on the day, so it's like, maybe it's like the top down crushing has succeeded. So now the question is, how do we try to restore things? This now is my answer to your question. You and I have no direct control over the fact that we are an economy that is fundamentally usury driven. Right. You and I, can, we, we, we can think about how we might want to change that and work towards that. But the thing, and this is where all my passion is, 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 is what's directly in your and my control is our households. This is by, part of what I said. Start, this is where we start again. 
this is what you and I can do. We can start on, uh, start local, start right there, start in your immediate relationships, craft a good life there. That is your first, you're in my first responsibility. And, and, and so I, I, you're absolutely right. And this comes back to even the question of working mothers. Might there be certain aspects of our economy that are going to work against us, that we are way over busy? You're absolutely right. That is part of the problem. And so part of the reason I'm make these plans is, uh, I mean, start with specific things, start with them, start simple, start small. But I think what's in your power is the bottom up. But let's not at all um, forget that even in doing that, we need to be aware of the challenges that are coming that might be beyond our control. And particularly when it comes to raising children, I'll tell you, some of the most dramatic moments in my life have been, you know, looking at my wife and just thinking, I can't believe that the Lord is asking us to suffer this, to all that we've tried and all that we've wanted for our children, that the world is saying so consistently and so loudly this to them and is malforming even their heart in certain ways. Hey, this is, this is part of the gift, too. God's mercy is in charge of it all. That's going to be part of the situation out there, but we do what we can. Thank you for that question. Thank you very much, all of you. Please. Overall, like, really important question. I just want to ask a simple one. So, give us top three crafts we as men and women do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. This is hard. All right. All right. Um, okay. I'm going cha- I'm, I'm to say this one, but then immediately follow up and challenge it. The art of cooking, but, but don't become a foodie. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely serious. And what I mean by a foodie is someone where it's, oh, it's just about getting the right, I have to have this herb. You know, just... It, it, Look, it, it, I mean, it's like go peasants, right? They cooked well because it's how they loved people. And it's how they nourished people. It wasn't this fetish. It wasn't this you know, just, just having to have everything perfectly right, which, is, which, is a kind, which could be a kind of hedonism. The art of cooking well in simple, nutritious ways for the sake of celebrating and being together with people. That is a craft that will, should always be a part of life, and it connects nicely with that of growing food, right? All right, so, so that's one. I mean, um, you know, um, making, um, making I'm, the fundamental heart, arts of whiffery and husbandry. I'm going to just throw, you know, making clothing. Making, making things out of wood, making things from natural project, products that, you know, it's, it's so, you know, simple carpentry. Like pottery. Sure, pottery. Do it. Um, <laughs> amen. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, hey, singing. I know it's a little different, but the, there's a kind of, 
just the practice of singing for people, right? In, in unless we've turned all singing into into performance and, and something that has to be the level to be recorded, rather. But we've totally lost people just getting around and singing around the piano. There's a kind of art to that. But okay, I'm not allowed to say gardening, but I did say cooking, um, making making clothing, simple things of sewing. Simple things of sewing stuff. My, my, my wife is Ukrainian. She's a children of, child of Ukrainian immigrants. And they, and they embroider. They embroider things. It's just, it's such a gorgeous, beautiful thing. I, I mean, w have you seen this type of thing? She's, my son's getting married. She's embroidering this thing for his wedding day. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's jaw-dropping. It's like, this is so, but I know you're thinking, oh, great. Thanks, John. You know, I'm going to go out and start doing Ukrainian embroidery. <laughs> I, I, this is part of the challenge of so many of the simple arts that would have been passed on have been taken away from us. That's why we got we kind of kind of go back to the more simple things, the things that are in your reach, Solerio. Do them. But again, I say, go natural, go real. I don't have anything against computers. I use them. But like get, getting all techie, is, 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 it, it doesn't have that, it has its place as a tool, but it's not that craft that's going to unite yourself in the household. Okay, thanks for the question. All right, let's give him one last round of applause. Appreciate it. Great being with you. Great questions. And if uh, on your way out, if you're going to sign up, uh, just make sure to sign up. I'm going to give you that.